Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. I hope you're doing well today as we continue our series called Tightrope. Uh, let me begin with just a story and a memory. I can remember uh, in elementary school, we had the playground that many of us grew up on, which is pavement and metal, you know, playground furniture, aluminum, steel, that sort of thing. And we had a, a teeter-totter. I don't know if they have outlawed those since those days, but what we had a teeter-totter. If you remember what a teeter-totter is, it is basically a plank that is over a fulcrum point and it teeter-totters back and forth. And so much fun when you're with your friend and you're going back and forth balanced on this teeter-totter. Such a great, fun toy. Not so fun when it is out of balance. I can remember times when one of the older kids would say, hey, Aaron, let's do the teeter-totters together. And I was just gullible enough to think that sounded like a great idea. And so we would get on the teeter-totters, and because he was so much bigger than me, I would be up and he would be down. And I would be up for probably the entirety of recess. He would be eating his lunch, he'd be holding meetings, gathering for conversations, just you know, doing his homework, all while I am stuck in the upward position of the teeter-totter. Now, to make matters worse, teeter-totters, if you want to dismount from them, you usually do so in sort of a partnership. Both of you get off at the same time. But when you're a mean older kid, you don't do that. You just jump off, making me careen from that huge elevation at the time, clear to the bottom, to the pavement, smashing my tailbone into oblivion. A painful end to an already painful recess. I mention that because teeter-tottering, when done properly, when done within balance, it's quite fun. But when done out of balance, it produces a great deal of pain. See, today we're going to approach a subject where balance is an essential part of finding success. A place where, once again, we will find ourselves walking a tightrope. And the tightrope we look at today is the rope that is strung between generosity and stewardship. Generosity and stewardship. A subject where the, the word balance is essential to us. Uh, think of the old days when we would balance checkbooks in our finances. Think of currently when we balance budgets all the time. It is the tension of what's going out of our wallets and what's coming into them. And how we navigate that is so important, especially for a person who trusts God with their finances. Because scripture tells us that in a lot of ways, money is almost like a radioactive material. It can be very useful, very powerful, but when handled poorly, it can actually poison the person attempting to wield it. We're told in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I think if you look at our world, you will see that played out. You want to know where something's gone wrong? Well, follow the money. And knowing that, that Jesus 
talked often about money and how to navigate this world that is so wrapped up in money. That is a, an essential truth for us to discover what he says about this. How, how do I give and, and how, do I, how do I sustain the life he's called me to? And the question is, is there one simple answer here? See, I could, for instance, read the parable of the widow's might in scripture. We know in that parable that Jesus acknowledged her because she gave all that she had. And so I could walk away from that and say, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to give all that I had have to God. That must be the answer. The problem is, what if I do so? And then I'm left without money to pay my mortgage or without money to pay my utility bill, or without money to purchase food and to take care of the family in that way. So in trying to honor God with that gift, I end up dishonoring my commitments to others. In trying to love God, I end up not loving people. And God calls us to both. Jesus tells us, to honor our commitments, to count the cost, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. So that action of simply applying one answer to the problem, just give everything, that doesn't honor God either, does it? Yet on the other hand, if, if I don't give anything to God, and if I simply just keep everything that comes my way, I end up not living out the life of generosity and of trust that Jesus created me for. So here is the tension, right? This is the tightrope. That's why the word balance is such a key here. We're always managing this tension. Can I give this? Can I spend this? And in doing so, will it put me over the edge? Will it put me into the red? Will I overdraw my accounts? And you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever expressed that very small but sincere prayer just prior to swiping your debit card at a store. Do you know that little prayer? Just It's a little prayer, Lord, let this go through. And you kind of do it kind of shaky, and you swipe the thing, and then when it says approved, you feel like you won the lottery. Woo, yeah, nailed it, got it. Everything's good. Some of you know what I mean. Therein lies the tension of what it means to find balance. And if it's not just the tensions of daily life, it's the tension of saving for retirement or planning for emergencies or trying to help more people in need. All of it exists in this tension. What should I give and what should I keep? Generosity and stewardship. So with that in mind, I thought it would be wise to engage what God would say to us regarding that tension. Because if we understand the truth that God loves us in a way that surpasses any other love, then that love must impact every area of our lives. Which means that God will lovingly speak to the tension around this subject of finance. God wants to speak to the balancing act, to that tightrope. And here's the first thing I'd point out. Generosity and stewardship are balanced with kingdom principles. They're balanced with kingdom principles. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 6. Let's read this together. Big voices go. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap 
sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This, friends, is what is known as a kingdom principle. And what I mean by that is this. When I choose to follow Christ, God invites me then to live as a citizen of another kingdom. For those who follow Christ, we are invited to live as citizens of another kingdom. As Philippians says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. That although we do live in this world, if we follow Jesus, we're citizens of another. Which means we will then operate in some principles that at times are very different than this world's principles. It's like when I traveled to London, although I was physically there and I was surrounded by London things, red double-decker buses and you know Buckingham Palace, all of that, but I was still a citizen of the United States, even though I was in that place. When we meet Jesus, our citizenship changes. We are still in this world's kingdom, but our home is God's kingdom. And God's kingdom plays by different rules. Here in this passage, we see a great example of that very thing. The kingdom principle of sowing. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. Now that is very different than the principles of this world. This world is all about what I can take from someone, what I can get from someone, and what it involves for me to be able to keep that. When it comes to finances, whatever we do in this world system is let's make sure we don't lose it, let's make sure we keep it safe, let's make sure we keep it with me. That's where money is safest, it's in my hands. That's what our world would say. Yet God speaks to something very different. And in that, God's kingdom is built on completely different principles. See, the world's kingdom says, if you want to have it, you should keep it. God's kingdom says, if you want to have it, you should give it. This is the kingdom principle of sowing. If I give little, I harvest little. If I give a lot, I harvest a lot. And what is interesting to me is that Jesus certainly calls his followers to operate in his kingdom principles, but the principles actually work for everyone. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, these principles work regardless. I once knew a man who was quite wealthy, and he was somewhat up and down when it came to his relationship with Jesus. But somewhere along the way, he had discovered the principle of the tithe. And for him, he just saw it as God's way of creating wealth. His discovery was to give in ways that led to a greater ability to produce in the future. He just equated it that way. He walked in that principle, generous giving leading to a generous living. The more he sowed, the more he reaped. And he pointed to that principle being a big part of his success financially. He would say that it was true regardless of his relationship with Jesus. It was a principle. Now, don't misunderstand me. That is not to say that giving 
and tithing and sowing always leads us to riches. What it does mean is that giving and tithing and sowing does lead us to harvest. The principle of sowing stands on its own simply because it's true. What I invest in, what I give towards, it will produce fruit that is consistent with the level of that investment. So if we, if we do so generously, we can expect generous fruit. If we do so sparingly, the fruit will be lean. It's not just true in finances, it's true in everything. It's true in relationships. Take my relationship with my wife, Paula. I receive the benefit of deep friendship with my wife, Paula, because there's a great deal of investment in time together. Great deal of investment in connection from both of us. But if my relationship with my wife, Paula, starts to look more like the relationship I have with a drive through attendant, you know, here's my order, here's my, my debit card, thanks for the burrito, see you later, and if that's it, that is not great, deep relationship. Why? Because I'm getting out of it what I put into it. It is not a generous sowing, so there cannot be a generous reaping. My marriage should have more fruit than that. So it requires more investment. And thankfully, we're able to do that together. This principle says, what we put in is what we get out. And this principle is always true. Just like gravity or centripetal force or the fact that pesto always gets stuck in your teeth when you eat it. There's some things that are just always true. So if the principle is from God, it's always true for everyone. And it says later on in this same passage, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I am blessed in order to be a blessing. I am given so that I can give, which means the way I am generous determines the way God can be generous with me. They're tied together. This is the principle of sowing, and it shows us this truth. Generosity and stewardship are balanced with kingdom principles. It's the first thing. Here's the second. Generosity and stewardship are balanced with deployed wisdom. Deployed wisdom. Let's continue the passage. Read it together right where you are. Big voices go. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here we see. God's wisdom ultimately being expressed in one thing, a decision. Not a feeling, not a good intention, it's a decision. And that decision not only includes what we do, but how we do it. It says, give what you've decided in your heart to give. This speaks to conviction, this speaks to commitment to follow through. This is a deployed wisdom. I'm actually doing that thing I've been called to do. Meaning once I hear from God, no circumstance will turn me aside. And the key place of wisdom to be deployed is this. 
Allow your heart decision to be your final decision. Allow your heart decision to be your final decision. Whatever that decision is, we're talking about finances, so maybe it's around that, but once you've gained wisdom from God's word, and you've gained, gained wisdom from wise counselors, once you know that this is God's course for me, don't allow temporary questions override permanent convictions. I think many of us have stories to back this idea up. Maybe, let, let's say you decide as a single mom, that uh, you're going to give to God in this particular way. You're going to do this particular thing because it seems good to you. You sense the Holy Spirit in it. You feel a conviction about it. You feel a peace in that decision. And, and it seems wise. It aligns with God's word and God's truth. So you, you set the kids down and say, hey, kids, here's how we're trusting Jesus today. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to give. Let's do this together as a family. Let's go for it. Go team. Bring it in. Bring it in. You know, shout faith on three. One, two, three. Faith. Here we go. And away you go. And you're ready to do that. But right before you send that gift, the car breaks. Mm. Man, we could, we could really use that money now. Feel a little bit reluctant in that moment, a little bit hesitant. Do I do, I do it? So, so what changed? Did God change? No. My circumstance did. So if God never changed and God knows the future, then what God told us should never change due to our circumstances. And once again, we find ourselves on this tightrope between generosity and stewardship. What I give and what I keep. And more than that, it comes down to this, who I trust. Will I trust the voice of my circumstance or will I trust the voice of my Savior? That tension is only resolved when we give what was decided in our hearts, not what was questioned in our circumstance. Because there will always be a reason to keep what God asked us to give. Friends, there will always be a reason to keep what God asked us to give. We can always have a reason for that. And additionally, there will always be a reason not to give to God in the way he asked us to give it. Passage says, don't give reluctantly. Don't give out of compulsion meaning don't give in guilt, don't give out of fear. It says give cheerfully. The original language there means to give hilariously. And believe me, there have been some times in our family where we have given to God and said, this is gonna be amazing, this is hilarious that we're doing this right now. Let's see you work this out, God. This is incredible. Let's see you get us out of this as we're trusting you in this way. Let's see what you do here. And guess what? God does it because it was his plan, not ours all along. Friends, this kind of giving becomes a source of amazing joy because we can't help but see Jesus in it. It's so clear that Jesus did. No one else could do this. Only Jesus could do this. But too often, our giving 
can end up landing in this very comfortable place. I kind of give what's left over. I give of what I have plenty of. I give of what I don't need. And in that, I don't really have to see Jesus at all. I love the example of David in the Old Testament, who said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Too often, I think that can describe our giving. It's not so much about trusting Jesus, it's about tipping Jesus. You did a good job today, Jesus. Here's a little something extra. Why don't you go get yourself something nice? It's tipping. And we miss the whole point. We miss the chance to see and to trust Jesus, to watch him show up in the midst of those moments, watching Jesus do more than we can ask or imagine. Mother Teresa said, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving. God has given us wisdom and what it looks like to live a giving life. But we must decide to walk in it, regardless of the wind and the waves that surround us. Generosity and stewardship are balanced with deployed wisdom. That's the second thing here is the last thing. Generosity and stewardship are balanced with complete reliance. Let's finish out the passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Big voices, go. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It says that God is the one who is able, not me. In all of this, God is the one who is able, not me, that because it is God that we are trusting, all things become possible. Because I am no longer trusting in my resources, I'm trusting in God's resources, and God owns everything there is. So in trusting God, my generosity can become boundless, because as the owner of every resource, God has no limits. So here's the balance of that. Here's the tightrope, again, that we walk. The effectiveness of our stewardship is in direct proportion to my connectedness with the owner. I'll say it again. The effectiveness of my stewardship is in direct proportion to my connectedness with the owner. I must get my direction from God. Here's what I mean. If I want to be effective, say with the time, that God has made available to me in my life. I must seek God for guidance regarding how to spend my time. If I want to be effective with the talent God has made available to me, then I must seek God for guidance as to how to use that talent. If I want to be effective with the treasure that God has made available to me, I must seek God for guidance regarding that treasure because all of it belongs to him. They're all gifts from him. I don't need a plan for my finances because they are not mine. I need the owner's plan 
for his finances, some of which are stewarded by me. Points back to another very key principle, the principle of ownership. 2 Corinthians 9.10 Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God is the supplier. God is the owner, which means we become stewards of that supply, both in the realm of spirituality and also in the realm of practicality. We manage God's goods. None of it is ours. It's all God's. So like any good manager, we must remain in close relationship with the owner so that we can do what the owner wants to do with those resources. I think all of us can attest to the crazy things that people do because they think that the money they have access to belongs to them. This is when people buy crazy stuff. This is what leads to people having coffee tables with live sharks in them, you know, or, 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 or hiring private jets to fly their pets from one place to another. And of course, it leads to $100,000 toilets made out of gold. This is what happens when we think the stuff we have access to belongs to us. We do really weird things with it. Which is silly, right? Just that thought that all this belongs to us. Because even without the God factor of this discussion, it's still silly for this reason. No matter who you are, whatever resources you've been given access to in this life, those resources will only be available to you in this life. Maybe that's 100 years for some of you. Most of us, it's going to be a little bit less. But that, friends, is a guarantee. As an investor, you know that for 100% of all of us, 100% certainty, you will lose it all at the end. Every resource. Everything you have financially, at 100% certainty, you don't get to take any of that with you. At the end, it will not be yours. And that's a pretty good indicator that it was never really yours to begin with. It's all just a loan. What will we do with it? So we get to take our turn at how to effectively use the resources that God has made available to us. And so the amazing wisdom of Jesus is this. He says, why don't you take that temporary resource that's kind of on loan to you, and why don't you exchange it for eternal treasure? Book of Matthew, don't store up treasure here where moth and rust will tear it up. No, it's guaranteed to go away. No, store up the treasure in heaven. Store up your treasure where it lasts. Turn it into something eternal. When we give in response to the owner's direction, that's what happens. And God's promise is this. If you will trust me, and if you will seek me on how to do this, God says, I will supply for you, and I will increase your harvest. And here's the great thing about living in that truth. 
stewardship executed properly allows us to breathe. <laughs> right where we are, just breathe. <sighs> Don't you just want to breathe when it comes to finances? You just want to just go, oh, it's going to be okay. This is what stewardship executed properly allows us to do. Because I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have all the answers. I simply trust God for God's answers. I'm not coming up with a plan. I'm just seeking God for God's plan. I don't have to be the parent. I get to be the kid. So much better in this way. I mean, think about when you're a parent trying to get your family to Disneyland, for instance. You have to figure out so much stuff when you do that as a parent. You have to figure out tickets and, and parking and travel and car seats and lodging and food and souvenirs and nap time, mostly for me, but also for the kids. You gotta figure out so much stuff. But when you're a kid, you just get right along in color. Just riding along. And then when you get to the park, if you're young enough, you just go from that seat to another seat where they drag you around in a stroller. You don't even have to walk. It's a beautiful thing. That's why you see so many electric scooters now in theme parks. The parents finally figured it out. Oh, it's so much better if I just cruise around. I don't want to walk anymore. It makes it so much more fun. It's all the fun minus the stress. That is the kid life. Yet for some reason, in finances, we continue to try to push ourselves into the parent role. Oh, I gotta know what to do with this. I gotta have wisdom. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make the moves. I need to have all the plans and I need to have all the answers. And God says, why don't you be the child and I'll be the good father? Why don't you be the manager and I'll be the owner? I promise you it's way more fun. We get to trust God in all things because generosity and stewardship are balanced with complete reliance. I'll wrap up with this. Um, this year for Christmas, I, I ended up getting a little bit of, of cash uh, around Christmas. And so once Christmas passed, I started to have this idea that I wanted to, for the first time in my life, I wanted to save up and purchase a really good fly rod. I love fly fishing, but I've always used this kind of low-end fly rods that weren't expensive. They were fine, but I thought it'd be really nice to have a really good fly rod and you know I could cast really far and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I'm gonna save up and I'm finally gonna get a Sage fly rod. Sage is not sponsoring this. That's just the kind of fly rod I wanted. They're really, really good. And so I had the idea of the weight I needed, uh, you know, how long the fly rod would be, all that stuff. And I knew what it would take to save up for this. So I had this little bit of cash and I said, well, I'll, I'll start saving up. And I, in fact, I even sold some stuff on Craigslist after Christmas, you know, to try to add to this little nest egg that I was building up. I was still a long way off, but I was started on that plan. It was in the midst of that, right after I'd sold all that stuff, that, that Paula's uh, mom's husband, his name is Ron, he told Paula, he said, I'm sending you a bunch of pictures. I want you to show them to Aaron because I went to an estate sale and I got all of this, all these fly rods. And, and I want him to know, I want to know from him if they're any good or not. And so Paula shows me these pictures. And I saw, saw them, I went through them. Some of them I knew immediately what they were. Some I had to look them up. And there were some that were kind of entry-level fly rods, most of it pretty heavy, heavy gear. Some of it was really quality stuff. And, but then I got to the last picture. And there was 
a sage fly rod. Six weight, nine foot, exactly the size I wanted that I'd been saving up for. So I'm all I'm like, oh, this is amazing that I'm looking at this. And so I go to Ron. I say, Ron, there, there's there's some really good fly rods uh, in this uh, in this group. And in fact, the sage is is really good. Do you want me to help you sell these? You want me to put them on Craigslist? There's some value here in, in what you've gotten from this estate sale. And his reply was simply this: I'm giving them all to you. I want you to have them. See, I had my plan, right? I'm going to sell stuff. I'm going to sell plasma. I'm going to do whatever I can because that's my plan. But God's plan was so much better. God's going, you wanted one good rod? Here's five. How about that? Jim Elliott wrote this. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. See, when we allow God to meet us in this tension of generosity and stewardship, to meet us on this tightrope of what I give and what I keep, when we let God meet us there, not only does God provide, but we can't help but love him more. Because all we can say is, God, thank you. You did it. How is it that this would show up in this way at this time? It is so obvious that you did this. The last part of this section of scripture, it ties it up so well. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 11, last part. It says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As we walk this tightrope of trusting God in stewardship and generosity, of embracing kingdom principles and choosing God's wisdom and living out our reliance on him, the end result will not just be the inflow of provision for us. It will be the outflow of praise to Jesus. Where we say, God, you are so good that you didn't have to show up like you, like you just did, but, but you did it anyway. This becomes the fuel of our praise. It's in these real practical moments that, that we can't help but be grateful because Jesus will always show himself to be so good. I don't know where you are today, in this tension between generosity and grace. I can only tell you this. There is no amount of trust in Jesus that will ever be more than Jesus can handle. And in every way that we decide to give generously, to give as a part of our response to what God is saying, when we do that, Jesus will always produce a harvest of greater abundance in us in so many different ways. Jesus makes it possible for us to walk this tightrope and to find the balance, but it's not a 50-50 balance. It's not like 50% stewardship, 50% generosity, or 50% trust in me, 50% trust in God. No, balance in the kingdom is 100%. It's all God full trust in all things, at all times, having all that you need. It's 100% God. So could we choose to trust like that? 
to find our balance in this tension between generosity and stewardship, saying, God, I will put my full trust in you. And if you call me to lay anything down, Jesus, I, I will answer. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.